the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, hope you're having a fabulous, fabulous Saturday. This is Al Fadi, and if you're tuning in, you're listening to Let Us Reason. We thank you, as always, for your help, your prayers, and your support. And uh, as always, I want to remind you uh, that you can listen not just to this particular podcast or today's podcast. You can always go back and listen to the archive uh, podcast in a variety of ways. You could go to our website, CIRA International. That's CIRA, C as in Charlie, International, one word, CIRAInternational.com. We have a section for Let Us Reason in there. You can go to uh, KPXQ1360 and just uh, search for Al Fadi or Let Us Reason. You can listen there as well. We have two other social media platforms. Uh, one is the previous one that we've used called soundcloud.com. Search for Let Us Reason. You can listen to at least three uh, seasons in there. And then we also have a new one called Omni Studio, where you can listen not just to the previous one, but also any new ones as well, especially for this year and next year and moving forward. iTunes, I understand, has also some of those. So you have a variety of ways to be able to listen to these podcasts, previous, present, and hopefully future. And I share this with you so you can share it with others as well. I We have a lot of people who have been following this. Uh, we receive a lot of um, uh, positive remarks about the uh, how helpful these podcasts have been and we thank you for that and feel free to always email us specific questions clarifications oftentimes i end up using some of your questions and comments and build you know a couple of topics on the podcast because we want to be relevant to whatever you have been encountering or dealing with um one of the things that i typically do is to um, not only post things on our facebook page, which is my personal one on Facebook is Al Fadi, one word, Al, A-L Fadi, F-A-D-I dot Sira, C-I-R-A, and also my ministry pages, the Al Fadi, the Al Fadi, or the other one, Sira International, is to try to uh, make some sense uh, regarding some of the specific posts that I have there. You can call it an update but also you can call it a commentary, if you wish, in person about why I did what I did or why I posted a question like this or a challenge. Now, I want to clarify, if you go there and you see that I'm challenging a specific person, I'm not there to really ridicule the person. I'm there to try to uh, explore uh, further, explore, I should say, something that this person uh, either brought up and refused to 
deal with it or the person is making a claim that is completely unsubstantiated or unbiblical or something that will be beneficial to others to understand why is this issue worth at least focusing on it. Here is one of those that was posted on October 11th of this year, of course, this month. Um, the idea was one of our friends, a Muslim friend, I'm not going to mention names here. You can go there and see. It was a challenge. And the idea was that um, this person made the claim that the Trinity, the Trinity, basically, or the doctrine of the Trinity, is unbiblical. Now, I find it a little bit amusing, really, when a Muslim tells you, like this gentleman, that the Bible is corrupt, yet at the same time, he's telling you a doctrine that is found in the Bible is unbiblical. I mean, I'm not so sure really what to make out of this statement, other than the fact that I challenged the person to show us from the Bible then, why does this person think the doctrine of their Trinity is unbiblical? Obviously, all we got is the usual runaround. No answers, no clarifications. However, that particular post received a lot of attention by many of the wonderful believers like you, and they shared a lot of insights and scripture to help this person, but hopefully help others, whether uh, you know, you're a believer who really needs more material to understand the Trinity and how to explain it, or an unbeliever or a seeker who's been struggling with uh, trying to fathom this. Now, let me clarify something that is extremely crucial. Whenever we talk about the Trinity, we're talking about the person of God, the character of God, the nature of God in, in this case. And it is quite impossible for me, a human being, a finite human being with a finite mind, to be able to fathom the majesty and the nature of God himself. So don't let anyone fool you and say we can explain who God is. Not at all. However, I can affirm and confirm that the Bible is rich with uh, many passages, progressive revelation, if you wish, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that allowed us to understand the person of God, the nature of God, and to understand without a single doubt that the doctrine of the Trinity is biblical, is a sound doctrine, and the fact that the term Trinity, the word, is not found in the Bible does not negate the fact that the doctrine itself is biblical. And many times, by the way, you hear this, uh, whether from our Muslim friends, whether from Jehovah Witness sometimes, the challenge of asking you to show them the word, the word itself, Trinity, in the Bible. Now, I find this is an amusing argument. Of course, the word is not in the Bible. And we don't want to be wasting people's time by trying to think that we can find it somewhere. But the fact that a word is not found in the Bible does not in any way negate the doctrine itself. In fact, a Muslim who asks you to show the word Trinity and will use that claim to prove to you that the Bible has been com uh, corrupted or the doctrine doesn't exist is no different than Muslim who makes the claim that there is a doctrine the Muslims believe in called Tawheed, which is the oneness of God, which the very word Tawheed also is not found in the Quran. So why is it okay then for someone who believes in a doctrine called Tawheed, that the word itself doesn't is not found in the Quran, can raise the same uh, concern about my word to describe a doctrine called the Trinity, the fact that the Trinity as a word is not found in the Bible. You see what I mean? 
If the word Trinity is not found in the Bible and the Muslim uses this to tell you the Bible is corrupt, then I can use the exact same argument and say the fact that the word Tawheed for the Muslim is not found in the Quran, that makes the Quran also corrupt. I mean, you see where I'm going with this. And, and it's definitely, it's, it's a naive argument on my part if I would go that route. Because you cannot just claim that a whole book basically can be judged by the lack of one word that describes a doctrine. Now, I'm not endorsing the Quran, of course. I do not believe the Quran is the word of God, not even for one bit. And everybody knows my opinion on that. There is no surprises here. If I believed in the Quran, I wouldn't be a former Muslim and a follower of Jesus today. Nevertheless, I'm just using a logical argument that is raised usually by our Muslim friends. Now, back again to the Trinity. Now, I'm not here to teach you on the Trinity today because that will require a lot of sessions. And in fact, we did do some of that. You can go to the archive and trace back some of those uh, podcasts that we did on the Trinity. We'll revisit the topic one more time. Here is another good news for you. If you go to our YouTube channel, Sira International, C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A International, one word, on YouTube, you can type basically on our channel, Trinity, and we did a multi-part uh, series. I think it's up to probably 16 or maybe even 18 videos where the Trinity, technically speaking, was explained from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and I'm still working on it. I don't want to say we're done. We are going to add more to this series, but I will walk you through the logical explanations of the doctrine itself from my own perspective, of course. And here's what I like to do usually. I like to show that the Bible teaches cover to cover that we believe in one God, not in two gods or three gods, because the Muslim's argument is that the word Trinity means we worship in three gods. Not at all. The definition of the Trinity itself is that we worship one triune God, one God, uh, in essence, in nature, who revealed himself to us in his own word, the scripture, in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Not the other way around. I cannot say God is the Father, or God is the Son, or God is the Holy Spirit. No, that's a wrong way to explain it. But the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Furthermore, for the Son, the Son is the Word of God who became flesh. So he is God incarnate. And because he is also the exact replica of God on earth, he is also called the Son of God. And this title, by the way, that is given to him as the Son of God existed with him even before his incarnate state. In other words, he wasn't called the son after his incarnation. No, not at all. There are many passages that support this. And in my series, I go through that. A quick example of this will be Isaiah 9, 6, where it says a child is born, a son is given to us. Notice the child that was born in the fullness of time, as Galatians 4, 4 will say, he was the son that pre-existed with the father, basically, and appeared to us in history, in time, and he is the son of God. And also in Galatians 4, 4 to 4, 6, it says that God sent the spirit of his son, who was born under the law, born of a woman, born under law, when in the fullness of time, in the exact time that God have chosen. So I show that God is one from the scripture, cover to cover, I also show that this oneness has plurality to it. Here is what I mean by the plurality of the oneness. 
you will come across phrases like, let us make man. And you really have to pause and ask yourself, why is the use of the plurality here? The very word in the beginning, God, which is Elohim, has a plural ending into it. Yet, no Jewish person or no translator of the Bible would translate this as a plural noun. They will translate it as a singular name in the beginning, God, not gods in the plural. Why? Because it is understood that this is God who is one in essence. But we began to understand over the course of history, as he revealed himself to us, that he presented himself in three distinct persons. He didn't change. That's a heresy called modalism. He didn't change to be a father at one time, and then from the father became the son at other time, and now he is the Holy Spirit. Not at all. He revealed himself in three distinct persons. In fact, in some places in the Bible, at the very same time, you go to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit, right? And then you have Yahweh, and the father, known as the father also. And upon me, Jesus revealed that that's him who was talking. If you go to Luke chapter 4, verses 16 on down. So we see the three in the same passage. The baptism of Christ in Matthew chapter 3, starting from verse 14 on down. You will see clearly the imagery in there that the sun was coming out of the water. That's Jesus. The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And hearing a voice from heaven, that's the Father saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Notice? So all three members at the very same scene. Not changing, not changing the mode. That's why it's called modalism. But rather, the three distinct persons are revealed to us in this particular scene. So... My theory again goes like this, proving that God is one from the scripture. This oneness has plurality to it. And then we move on to this and we begin to ask ourselves, did God ever revealed himself in, uh, as a person? Not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. And yes, we have plenty of evidence. Some of it is evidenced uh, by the very use of the angel of the Lord, for instance. Many believe this is a Christophany. Uh, prior incarnate appearance of Christ himself. Uh, you go, for instance, to a passage uh, that is found in um, Exodus, uh, in Exodus, and I believe it's Exodus chapter 20, verse 25. In there, it talks clearly about the Lord speaking to Moses, telling him that he ought to listen to this angel that he's sending before him because my name is in him, my authority is in him, my person is in him. So the, these are some of the examples I go through. So God is one. This oneness has plurality. And God appeared as a person even before the incarnation. And then we begin to explore. Did God ever allow us to call him the father in the Old Testament? Not just in the New Testament. Because the claim that you hear all the time is that this calling God. God the Father is just a New Testament thing, and poor Paul is always accused of being the one who invented this idea. Not at all. It's found in there. Just go to Isaiah 63 and 64 and see for yourself. Isaiah said clearly to Yahweh, you are our father. So uh, God didn't get upset with him. Never that he punished Isaiah for saying something like this. We don't see a single evident uh, evidence in the Bible that God ever got upset with people for calling Father. In fact, God makes the argument with his own people and the priest in particular in the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 6, when God raises the flag and says, you know, um, a master 
basically uh, is respected by his servant and a father is respected by um, uh, is due respect by his children. So where is my respect? If you're calling me father, you're not respecting me as a father. God is not saying don't call me father. He's saying if you're calling me father, respect me as a father, which is a logical argument. And then Jesus himself taught us to pray this way. Our father. Notice he didn't say my father, meaning don't pray in the singular. Say our father because you're not alone in the membership of this heavenly family. There is other like us throughout the history of uh, mankind, believers at least, who call God the father. So these are crucial and important passages. And then I take it from there and show that uh, God also uh, uh, is appeared to us in the person of the Son, uh, who is the exact replica uh, of God. That's what the scripture says, that Jesus is divine. Jesus indeed is God himself, who, uh, God incarnate, who appeared to us uh, here in a human form. And that doesn't take away from him his divinity. And then we talk about the Holy Spirit as a person, meaning the Holy Spirit is not just a power, is not just, uh, uh, you know, something that is, uh, uh, you know, experienced. No, he is a person, a real person that indwells in us as well. He is co-equal with the Father and the Son. He is God in every way possible. So this is just a summary of the entire series that I mentioned to you, and I encourage you really to go there. So that's really the reason why I put that challenge in there, because I wanted the, the person, the gentleman, who raised that issue to prove to us why does he think it is unbiblical, okay? Now, uh, the person refused, so I went on, and, and he kept uh, diverting uh, from uh, the question and kept insisting that the Quran teaches that God is one, and he chose to use the most common argument in the Quran, which is chapter 112, specifically verse 1 where in there it says that uh, supposedly in the English translation, God is one, but in Arabic, the word used is ahad, ahad. You say it ahad in Arabic, the Hebrew equivalent to it is ahad. Now, whenever you use the word ahad in Arabic or ahad in Hebrew, it does not denote absolute oneness. It, it, it denotes complex oneness, meaning there is a plurality to this oneness. In fact, even in Arabic, when you use that word, you will say, if the literal translation of this particular verse in chapter 112, verse 1, instead of saying, say Allah is one, it's actually say Allah is one of many, one of other gods, okay? So that's the way it is. So I used that argument and I said, okay, prove to us then that the word ahad that is used in the Arabic is actually, uh, uh, or I, sh I, I should say, used in the Quran to mean one. Because when you survey the Quran using this word, you'll discover it's always talking about it in a context of plurality. One of the kings, one of the prophets, you know, one of these people, and the list can go on and on and on. So we wanted to show that the very uh, idea that the word itself in chapter 112, which is probably the most important argument a Muslim can use to prove the oneness of God, and in their mind, the, abs the oneness of God in the Quran is an absolute oneness, meaning he is... Just one, you cannot uh, claim that he appeared in three distinct person. He cannot be called father, nor that he have a son, and so on and so forth. So I used, in this case, a classic example of using the Quran to refute the argument, the Islamic argument, and uh, compare that to the use of the word ahad, for instance, in the Bible. 
you know, I don't know how many of you know this, but the word Ahad is used in the uh, Shema in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 6, 4. And here is how it's used in there. The Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's the word. The Lord is Ahad. Now, how do we know that this is a complex oneness? Because the word study of this word will reveal to us that earlier in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, God speaking through the mouth of Moses or the pen of Moses says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave into his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh, one body, ahad. Notice? So there is two people, but in the institution of marriage, they become one body, one person. That's extremely important for us to see how the word is used. And when it's describing God, in this case in the Shema, that ought to tell us something as well. Obviously, there are many other passages that I can walk you through. At one point, we will, but go and watch these videos in my YouTube channel, Sira International, and it's called The Trinity. It's multi-part. I believe, like I said, it's either 16 or 18 videos. We are still working towards adding more to it. And at the same time, I am doing it in Arabic as well, so it could be shared by Arab speakers if you're witnessing to them, and hopefully also witnessed by them as well. It's in our Arabic YouTube channel. Now, that's why I do the things that I do when it comes to these particular challenges, because I want the person, I want the person who makes such claims to substantiate their claims, and that's extremely important, as I said it many times. If you leave an argument that is uh, as uh, bold as arguments that are raised by people like that, untouched, unrefuted, then you are enabling that person to go along with arguments that are unsubstantiated, proven to their followers that they're correct in making such a claim and we don't have a way to refute their argument. In other words, if I ignore an argument that is unsubstantiated or an argument that is really ridiculous, an argument that is not even founded, even in their own sources, if I refuse to deal with it or ignore it, I'm only enabling the person and making him look as if they succeeded in their case in making a claim like this. But when you challenge them, and first you ask him to clarify it and they keep refusing and you put it on the page itself publicly, then you are in allowing others to engage in a dialogue and you're allowing the person now the opportunity to defend themselves and defend this argument or at least present their evidence. Lack of evidence indicate immediately that the person was just making a bogus claim and therefore we have succeeded in our mission to expose the fact that what we said initially is correct and the person is actually unable to refute us. And even the very claim that they used to try to refuse us, they are unable to substantiate it even from their own sources, if necessary. And in closing, before we get to the end, the same person came back after challenge number two and claimed now the word is Al-Ahad, uh, meaning that God, Allah, is Al-Ahad. Not just Ahad, but he is Al-Ahad, adding a definite article and claiming that this is where it means he's one. Only problem is the word that he used doesn't even exist in the Quran. Now, I understand that one of the 99 names of Allah supposedly is Al-Ahad. He is the one, which, by the way, it doesn't mean that at all in Arabic. It means he is one of many. But nevertheless, even the very word that he was using to try to uh, explain that Allah 
himself is identified this way. We don't find anywhere in the Quran that Allah ever claimed to be that way. You see, this is where you have to be strategic in using the Quran when necessary to bring the person back to the scripture. This is a beautiful way to try to show that the word Ahad actually plays into the hand of the biblical teaching on the Trinity and why we believe in one God, one triune God who revealed himself in three distinct persons. We are reaching the end of our show. Thank you so much as always. And remember to go to our website, www.sirainternational.com and watch our videos, uh, explore the podcast, the previous one, the archived one for Let Us Reason and even explore many of our teachings. Or go to our YouTube channel, Sira International, subscribe there, and we pray that you will even consider becoming a Patreon patron and support us with as little as $1 or as many as the Lord put on your hand, uh, your heart. And of course, we always welcome you to become uh, our friends on uh, Facebook or like our Facebook pages, whether it's my personal one, alfadi.sira, or the Alfadi or Sira International. Until we meet again, have a blessed day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.